No, we're not really doing that, but we are about ready to read some scripture. Here's some scripture as Cindy reads it to us. It's uh, from Timothy, uh, one of the pastoral letters in the New Testament. It was written to the early church. It was attempting to try to help them understand some ways to live and to understand some of the things that we hold very, very true within the Christian faith. And so I invite you to hear Cindy as she reads to you from 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Cindy. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Lord, we pray that this uh, whole worship service, uh, every part of it, from the minute we walked in the door uh, to as we started to greet each other and entered into worship, and certainly as we've sung and had the kids teach us everything, the message, everything, that it set the plate for your bounty to come that we might feast upon it, that we would hear words of encouragement and strength, we'd find relationships built on faith and hope, and we'd find direction, forgiveness, maybe answers, and certainly at least a place where we can find that we can identify where we fit in, that all of us are welcome at your table. So bless us, Lord, as we share together in this conversation, in this worship, and in this day, all given to you in the glory of God. Amen. So I just want you to know I have been a pew sitter before. I know where you're going through right now. You know, you just heard the scripture and you heard the prayer. You're trying to size up in the next few minutes if this is going to be worthwhile or not. I get it. I understand the pressure. And I know you're also balancing out all the things you've got to get done today and all stuff. But no, I'm going to tell you, normally I know sometimes it's the three or four minutes before I really click into the message. Well, today I need you to click in now. Right here. Are you listening? All right, hear this. United Methodist Church has as its leadership over all the Council of Bishops. These are bishops from across the denomination. They get together, they're called the Council of Bishops. And we get together as a denomination across the globe every four years. They got together last year. And then they called a special session. They never do this. I've been around here for 40, 30, 39 years, and they've never done this since I've been in ministry. But they called a special session this February. And they're all coming back together again to focus on one issue. Now, I want you to understand, all of the global church is represented, but we send delegates for, in the Michigan area we have something like 12 people going. Am I close? 
eight delegates, and then some alternates. So I don't know what that number is. Is it close to 12? Am I close? I'm looking. Here's the point. The reason I'm looking is because two of them are right here. <laughs> I want you to understand the unique position you're in. You're one of the few churches not only has one delegate, but two. Now, they're alternate delegates. They're going to be quick to tell you that. But the point is they're going to be there representing the denomination and listening and perhaps having to vote. We don't know. To guide the conversation that we're struggling about and been struggling with for, well, since I've been in ministry. It's over the issue about inclusion of LGBTQ people in the denomination. And the struggle on that has been very strong in this denomination. It's been tough because there are people who feel very strongly on multiple sides of the issue. In fact, this battle has been going on, and it's a battle, it really is. It's been going on for so long, it's really kept the church from moving forward in a number of key areas. We can't talk about some other things because we keep talking about this thing without any conclusion. So they said, come, let's get together in February and deal with this issue and this issue alone. Let's focus on this. And they're coming in with several plans of what the church can do. The fact is, none of us know what's going to happen. We don't. Even the people I've consulted with, my colleagues who I respect highly, we don't know what's going to happen in February. Is there a chance that there could be a change in the denomination, that there could be a church split? Yeah, there's a chance. But what kind? I don't know. And I don't know whatever happens in February, how it's going to affect clergy and laity and local congregations and our connectional ministries. All that is unknown. It will be decided later. But we wanted to let you know that was happening because you're going to start hearing about it in the news, my guess. And we want you to be aware of that because you're the United Methodist in town. Someone's going to say, hey, what's going on there? I want you to at least have a little bit of knowledge, which is why, if you look in the bulletin, we're offering a class beginning tomorrow, 1 at 2.30 in the afternoon, 1 at 7 o'clock at night. It's going to go for three weeks. And we're going to talk about these issues. So you have an understanding of what's going on. We're going to listen to each other. And then also, uh, coming up, there's also information in the bulletin on this. We're going to have two town halls uh, next Sunday at 4 o'clock, and I believe the 27th at 7 o'clock. I'm going from memory here. Uh, and these are just town halls. We're not teaching anything. We're going to share with you some basic information. We're going to have conversation. just want you to be well informed. So knowing this was coming up, we knew we wanted to talk with you as a congregation about this, and that's part of why the next three weeks we're going to be talking about this conversation on inclusion. But I want to suggest to you this is a conversation which is larger than the United Methodist Church and larger than just this singular issue. Because it seems to me, not only in my own denomination, but everywhere I turn in this world, people are drawing lines of division between each other and not finding a way to talk to each other. They find that the best way seems to be to just get away from each other and to get in their own camps. Have you noticed any of that? So maybe we can have a conversation over the next few weeks about some of that as well, because I think it's not what makes for a healthy community. I also think it's not what God intends. And so for the next several weeks, uh, ne- you know, next week we're going to have a conversation about, is, is it possible really to have Christian diversity? I mean, can you have Christians who think differently still come together? We're going to talk about that. And in two weeks, we're going to be talking about, you know, where are we going in this congregation? And, and it's not going to be a surprise to any of you because we're going to keep going exactly where we are headed. But, but we're going to talk about that in two weeks. But tonight, today, we're going to begin with, I think, what is the fundamental issue about all of this at the general conference level. And oftentimes what happens in the way we think about things in the world. 
And it gets back to this very basic concept that I was taught when I was very, very young, about the age of the youngest one stand up here a few minutes ago. I was taught my theology through song in the basement of Montrose United Methodist Church. When they began teaching me the theology and they taught me this, maybe you know it too. The B-I-B-L-E Yes, that's the book for me I stand alone on the Word of God The B-I-B-L-E Here we go. The B-I-B-L-E Yes, that's the book for me I stand alone on the Word of God The B-I-B-L-E Well done. Now, how many of you were taught that when you were younger? A number of you. I was taught that early on. I was taught that the Bible was, was the most important book of all. I was taught that the Bible was what I needed to learn. I was taught that the Bible was where I could go find stories about God. I could go find stories about people in their relationship with God. I could go there for direction, for hope, for truth. It was the most important thing. I needed to know the Bible. I was taught that early on. Some of you were too, I know that. Some of you weren't. Some of you weren't raised in a church home, you weren't raised in a faith community, and so nobody was teaching you that the Bible was a big deal. Or maybe you were raised in a church that said the Bible was important, but then they never did anything to really teach you how to read the Bible, or how to get comfortable with it, or how to understand it. Or maybe, Maybe your comfort level with the Bible isn't driven by how you were taught about how to use the Bible, read the Bible, but maybe it's because you one day just started to read the Bible on your own, and you jumped in, you started reading, and you got into some stuff that was pretty scary. And you put it down, you said, this is too crazy, it's too hard, I don't understand it, and you never went back to it. Or maybe you just heard enough people Use the Bible to defend some things that were absolutely obscene in this world. And you thought, I don't want to be like those people, so the best way I can stop doing that is to stop reading the Bible. I get it. Or maybe you figured out, in the wrong hands, you can pick up the Bible and defend literally anything in the world. Truth is, how I think about the Bible goes a long way to determining what I get out of the Bible. If I go to the Bible to find rules, I can find rules. Ten of them, for example. And many more. If I go to the Bible to find stories without clear conclusions, I can find those too. If I go find Bible to confirm what I already believe, I can assure you I can find that. And if I go to find scripture that pushes me to learn and discover what I couldn't see before, well, they're there also. So how we come with the Bible initially affects what we walk away with from the Bible. Did you notice the picture on the front of your bulletin about that stick figure man looking at the knot on the rope in front of him? The staff created that, and, and so I got to give them the credit and the blame. I mean, no, because I, didn't, I looked at it, and I understand what it meant. I, I really, I, I had to say, Megan, I don't, help me. And she helped me, as she always does. Well, this man is going along a pathway, looks down, and he sees this knot 
this challenge, this problem in front of him. And it sort of stops him in his track. And he's looking at this not from one perspective. If you look at a problem from one perspective, you may never see the other side of the knot. I was sharing with uh, some folks earlier this week, in fly tying, what you'll learn is you get knots. Everyone gets knots when they fly tie. That's just part of the deal. What you'll learn about a knot is you have to resist your first temptation, which is to pull on the knot. Because what happens when you pull on the knot? You set the knot, right? And then your only option is just to cut it off and start all over again. But if you learn not to set the knot, you begin to sort of look at the knot from various angles and start adding and taking tension and pressure off. Sometimes you can save your line. Thus endeth the lesson. (laughs) But the reality is, is that this man is taking a look at this knot, and if he doesn't get around to the other side or doesn't involve other people helping him see more sides of the knot than himself, he may stay there. And oftentimes when people have done that, they've gone into scriptures and taken out things that I know God weeps over. They found scriptures to use to defend anti-Semitism, slavery, Too many wars to count. Too many ways to condemn people who are divorced, who are married to someone outside the faith, to condemn people whose children are not well-behaved, to condemn people who worship differently than they do, and to worship, and and to condemn all manners of lifestyle, including non-heterosexual lifestyles. That's just what we do. We take out of the Bible what we come to. For example, there's a passage in Scripture... I want to read to you that I didn't choose to preach on today. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, also that the women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing, not with their hair braided, or with gold pearls, or expensive clothes, but rather with good works, as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. I'm not preaching that scripture today. (laughs) Double amen. You cannot double down on an amen. What are you doing to me? Well, you can, actually. And I could make a snide joke here, and I oftentimes I'm the guy who would, but I really have a hard time on this one because it offends me. I mean, we have churches historically, including our own denomination, who used to say, you didn't belong here. You don't get to wear the robe. You don't get to sit up here. We said that to you, or to your foremothers. And it grieves me to confess that that's true. There are congregations not too far from here who believe the same thing. My point is, 
Just because you can quote scripture may not make you biblical or faithful to God. Oftentimes it's what we come to scripture with that we draw, walk away with. John Wesley, the Anglican priest who started the Methodist movement back in the 1700s that radically changed the world, including starting denominations like the United Methodist Church, believed passionately in the Bible and that it was critical for Christians to know and live. Hear his words. Here I am, I and my Bible. I will not, I dare not vary from this book, either in great things or small. I have no power to dispense with one jot or tittle what is contained therein. I am determined to be a Bible Christian, not almost, but altogether. Who will meet me on this ground? Join me on this or not at all? He also has famously said to say, at any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is a knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. Now, Wesley was well-read. He was well-steeped in theology and other studies. So he read more than the Bible. But he wanted to always understand and have his followers understand the Bible was number one. Having said that, Wesley taught scripture, preached scripture, and believed in scripture his entire life. But he also came to the conclusion that there are other important factors necessary to help all of us understand scripture. In various ways, his sermons and teachings reveal that alongside of scripture, we need also to apply the tradition of the church and the faith communities as they've struggled to figure out how to be faithful to God. We need to apply reason because God reveals in the new things we know today we didn't know before. And we need to apply our experience. And by this, he primarily meant our experience of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is present in our life, and it is my deepest hope, my dear friends, that you have some level of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and your knowing of who Jesus Christ is individually, and we collectively should inform how we understand Scripture. Do you hear me, church? Therefore, it's by these things it allowed him, while others use Scripture in his own day, to defend the practice of slavery, to actually take social action to make sure, because of the influence of others like himself, slavery became illegal in all of British law. It was Wesley who understood the passage from Timothy that I just read to you, who was a part of a tradition that did not ordain women, but in his movement he celebrated Women who became leaders and teachers and, yes, even preachers because he saw in them the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The B-I-B-L-E was sacred to Wesley and holy authority to him. It is to us. But what makes Scripture sacred? It is not simply pulling random passages out of the Bible and saying, it says here this, therefore but rather it is to understand that Scripture is a timeless revealing of God in writing that shapes the community of faith, revealing truth and giving hope. I'm going to say that again to you. What makes Scripture sacred is the timeless revealing of God in writing that shapes the community of faith, revealing truth and giving hope. I believe the Scriptures are timeless. Have you not experienced reading scripture at some point in your life and then going back later, whether it was several years or the next week, and having something else jump out at you from the page? 
Scripture is dynamic. It has the movement of the Holy Spirit in it, and it is always teaching me new things. If your faith is sort of weak right now and you're struggling with it, and the last time you read the Bible was when you were a confirmand, you might want to draw a conclusion. If you're not engaged in Scripture, you're closing yourself off to one of the main ways in which God reveals God's self to the world. And if you're not as a community of faith founded on Scripture, then we are simply folks trying to figure this out based on our own opinion. I believe the Scripture is sacred. It carries in it a power and a truth and a hope that we can only find by reading it and teaching it. I am a biblical preacher. What does that mean for me? It means for me that I have nothing worthwhile to say to you unless it starts with Scripture. Oh, I've got opinions. But they're not worth the paper they're written on. If I don't start with Scripture as I begin to think about what I'm going to say to you, then I'm a worthless preacher. I'm sorry, I just believe that. Scripture is what gives us the authority and the power and the hope by which we can preach. And if we could only, only all begin to embrace Scripture as sacred and as a part of our daily life, then we would begin to have what I call a biblical worldview. And that is critical. What's a biblical worldview? Here it is. It puts God first. Whatever else, however you interpret Scripture, throughout all of Scripture, God is first. If Christians sitting in the pews could simply start doing that, would not the world change? How many of you spent at least a few minutes this past week not putting God first? And you're the Christians! If we just had the biblical worldview, it could be reminded more that this day is God's. I'm God's. You're God's. This is God's work, and Christ is with us. How would change the world? Having a biblical worldview says that you are part of a holy community. Jesus did not call 12 independent contractors. He brought together people to share their lives and their journey and their struggles and their hopes and their truths because it's in the community that God's Holy Spirit works where two or three or more are gathered. For me, have a biblical worldview brings me to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be very clear here. I know that a good portion of my scripture is Jewish scripture, and I call it Jewish scripture. I don't call it Old Testament. Because I used to, I finally figured out Old Testament was sort of like, well, that's the old stuff and ours is the new stuff, which doesn't feel good to me. Jewish scripture is Jewish scripture. And we cherish our relationship with our Jewish brothers and sisters, like at Temple Bethel. How many of you have been to Temple Bethel with our confirmands and been blessed by the way they've shared faith and hospitality with you? Anybody else in this room? Look at that. It's been an amazing experience. You need to know that after the slaughter, of those 11 innocents, I wrote a letter on your behalf on church letterhead to Temple Bethel to tell them how much we were hurting with them and crying with them and praying for them, and how much we respect their faith and what they shared with us. Having said that, Scripture takes me to Jesus. It does. I'm a Jesus guy, unapologetically. 
And yes, I will tell you this, full of things being revealed, the older I get, the more I tend to lean toward the words in red. I want to know what Jesus said. I want to know what he did. And finally, if you're going to have a biblical worldview, it sees that all of life is holy. It means I can't categorize where God is and where God isn't because a biblical worldview says that God is in all, through all, and I discover God with all. I yearn for you. I, I don't need you to become Bible quoters. I would love for you to become a congregation with a biblical worldview. I would love your family to be blessed to have a biblical worldview. Which means that sometimes I go to Bible and I walk away not entirely sure. That's okay. In seminary, we would go to passages that we were having trouble interpreting. We didn't know what it meant. And uh, we would go to Mickey Eford. He was a professor, a doctor um, of uh, New Testament at Duke. And uh, Mickey was well-respected for his theology and his knowledge, particularly of the New Testament. And we would say, Mickey, well, we said Dr. Eford, Dr. Eford, what's this mean? And he would stop and he would say, well, here's what it means in the Greek and here's what that word means. And he would walk us through all that. And he would say, well, here's the way you can look at this passage theologically from this vantage point and this vantage point and this vantage point. He'd lay all that stuff out for us. And just clear. And, and you understood what he meant and it was powerful. And at the end, we would say, okay, thanks, but now, what does it all mean? And Mickey would say, always this word. Well, you've done your study, you've done your prayer, you pay your money, you take your choice. That's what he said. And when he said that, he didn't say interpretation doesn't matter. He would never say that. What he did say was, is that never be so certain of yourself that you walk away from saying, well, now I know for sure what this is all you're engaged in an ongoing relationship with the living God in the living word of Scripture. This is maybe what it means for you today. This is what you can stand on. This is what God is leading you to. Be open to where the Holy Spirit might take you next. Because in the Bible, we believe that in this Bible, God reveals so we go to the first book of the Bible, which is? Look at you Bible theologians. You go to Genesis, and you begin reading about things like how the world began. And then you go to the last book of the Bible, which is? Let me tell you right now, this is my teaching to you. You did a great job, but it is not Revelations. There is no book in the Bible called Revelations. Revelation. It reveals one thing, God wins. There's my lesson on the book of Revelation. But throughout all of Bible, it teaches you and reveals to you, but at the end of the Bible, you know what? You need to stop and tear off the back of the book. Because the Holy Spirit didn't stop with Revelation. The Holy Spirit's still revealing the Holy Spirit is using this scripture that I might continue to be open to the Holy Spirit as it is today.
Now, don't really tear your Bible book. Don't do that. I was being dramatic. <laughs> yes, Hallie, I'll replace the Bible. <laughs> I saw the look. But don't ever get so locked into the word of Bible alone that you can't understand that Jesus is alive and real and the Holy Spirit is moving and this is a dynamic faith. So while we seek to be a biblical people, we seek also to be those people who are yearning to discover and learn about all manner of things. Even stuff that, man, it's tough, and there's no clear conclusion. And even on stuff I'm clear about, and you're clear about, but we're clear about it differently, we, we struggle with that. It's okay. I get the temptation to want to be in a church where everybody thinks the same. I get it. Man, would it be easier on me if you would all just agree with me. Because then I could just stand up here and I could just go on and get passionate and just go crazy because I knew you'd all just go on the bandwagon with me. But that's not what this place is about. This is not what we do here. This is a place where people gather together for serious thought, for deep prayer, for reading of scripture, for sharing their faith, for disagreeing and knowing it's okay to disagree because God is in the midst of it all. I don't want you to agree on everything. Because it seems to me Jesus did not pick out 12 similar thinking people. Still doesn't. And we will continue to take scripture as sacred and serious. But we will not become so stilted that we will not be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit is moving today. And we will do that because that's who we are called to be in this community of faith. We will do that on hard issues like inclusion of LGBTQ people and so many other issues. But it's not just that. If we could learn how to hold something that's so important to us, we call it sacred, and yet understand that we have figured out a way to sometimes disagree about that and still love and respect each other, wouldn't that be an amazing lesson to teach the rest of the world? Wouldn't that be a generous gift to give to this world? I think it might be. To the glory of God. Amen.